Next Sunday, we will be resuming our Ephesians study. But since it was Pledge Sunday, I thought it would be important to maybe take a look at some of the things that we see in the Word of God regarding this subject. The subject is way more broad than what I have time to cover right now. Uh, and so I would encourage you to maybe do a study of your own to follow up and, and take a look at this. Because the question is, is we could easily say, well, we're, we're giving money for this, or we're doing... We're, we're going to build this building, or this is what we're looking to do. There's a lot of things that could be thrown out there. I'll be honest with you. I don't care about the money. What I care about is what God's doing. That's what I care about. I care about that every heart right now in this room and is able to hear online is softened and at least in tune to what God would have you to do or to not do. He can very much lead you to do that as well. I don't want to pretend here at all. The fact is, is that He's God. And if our goal is to love people to life in Christ, that's still the goal regardless of what happens. And that's what I'm excited about. So we're going to entitle this sermon Memorials. What are memorials? And I think it's important maybe for us to get some tracking as far as what we would see. The first thing we're going to look at is the life of Jacob. What were some memorial instances in the life of Jacob? So if you would, take your Bible. Turn with me to Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28. Now, as you are probably familiar, Jacob and his brother Esau had a wonderful relationship. And it's just like brothers, isn't it? Where's that nerve? Ah, there it is. And just push right down on it. And so in swoops Jacob, and he takes away the blessing that was meant for Esau from his father by deceiving his father. And now Esau wants to set up a very important family reunion he wants to kill his brother and so Jacob gets up and he leaves and he's actually traveling and he comes to a very interesting place look with me starting in chapter 28 of Genesis in verse 10 it says then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran now if you're familiar at all with your geography you know that Beersheba would have been down not too far from Jerusalem he's heading up in the northern regions there and he's actually coming up to the very pinnacle part of where you would have the fertile crescent that stretches from the Persian Gulf all the way around to the Mediterranean Sea he's coming up to that middle part there's a plot of land up there so while he's traveling and that is his eventual destination it says he came to a certain place now real quick I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you verse 17 tells us that this certain place is a place that was previously called Luz or Luz however you want to say it L-U-Z but because of the events that happened here, Jacob ends up changing its name to Bethel. And so anytime that you hear about Bethel or Bethlehem or Bethel Church or anything like that, it gets its name from this situation. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Now that is not a my pillow situation, is it? So notice, he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the Elohim, the God of your father Abraham, and the Elohim of Isaac. Now, it just so happens that interesting things are going on in the world right now, so let me read this very clearly. 
the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants, forgive me, I'm not able to catch up. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you. And in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now when we studied dispensations not too long ago, does that sound familiar to the Genesis chapter 12 verse 3? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. God is very serious about the situation. He's reiterated these things to Isaac and now he's reiterating these things to Jacob. The exact same promise. I will be with you. Here are the things I will bless you. It's not based on your faithfulness or anything. It's simply the character of God and desiring to unfold his plan for the ages of which he chooses to use Jacob as a vessel for that ministry to come forward. In fact, you read some of this later on, you find out Jacob might not even be a believer in God right now, even depending on the, the heritage that he had, but eventually he did. Notice it says in verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. Now some of us wake up like that, right? Except we're speaking in tongues when dreams like that happen. Right? But sometimes we don't know. Moving on to the next one, 17. Now watch this. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome! Is this place, if you have a King James Version, does it say, how dreadful is this place? Jacob is scared to death. Whatever this vision was is not just captured his mind, but it's captured his heart. And notice it's all good stuff. When God does good stuff, people get scared. That's okay. He's God. That's an okay place to be emotionally. There's nothing wrong with that. I know some of you are thinking, here I am at Grace Bible Church, how dreadful is this place? Not at all. We have a beautiful church. Notice that he says, this is none other than the house of God. There's where we get the word Bethel. There it is. Bethel means the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took his my pillow stone that he had put under his head. And what's he desire to do, desire to do with it? He set up a pillar and poured oil on its top. That's weird. Why did he decide to do that? Well, if we're familiar how the Bible talks about oil and what it's used for, you would anoint someone with oil. Samuel was searching out David to anoint him with oil. And the reason is is because the anointing of oil is actually a form of what we understand, $5 word, consecration. This is something that is set apart. It is holy. It is sanctified. It is altogether different, and there's a marking on it of this oil for a reason. So he decides to take whatever he was resting on, and he establishes it as something. And he establishes it as a memorial. So here's a good question. Why would you turn your pillow into a pillar? Do this when you get home. That'll be fun. 
You have a good dream about God. He's answering your prayers. Cool. Turn your pillow up this way so you'll remember it. That's why. The memorials were landmarks of an important stage in the development of the relationship between God and a person or persons. Or they marked a turning point in the history of that relationship. They also helped to strengthen the faith of those involved and often provided opportunities to teach future generations about what took place and why. Now let's break that down real quick in that author's own words. The development of a relationship between God and persons. I'm setting up a memorial because it states we're going somewhere. God and I are moving. That's a good thing that happens. There's a lot of people who God keeps moving and people just sit. Nobody's attracted to that type of Christianity because it's not doing anything better or different than what the world has been offering. So this is a situation where faith is involved. Notice number two, it's a turning point in the history of that relationship. Because of what I know or because of what I've seen, I cannot be the person that I was before that. This is usually why you see name changes take place. I'm so glad that Paul is no longer Saul. If that's the case, I might need to be a little bit worried every time I crack open the Bible. But instead, God was able to use His grace to turn Saul into Paul. Aren't you all glad that Simon became Peter? Good grief, Simon's annoying. But Peter, I like that guy. He's a little bit more with it. He's a little bit more godly? I don't know. It's good to see people change their names in those situations. How about number three? They help to strengthen the faith of those involved. Every day we live by faith. Every step is by faith. Every breath is by faith. If God didn't supply breath, we wouldn't breathe it. Yes? It's true. And guess what? At any moment, God is entitled to do that because He's God. So every moment that we live, every decision that we make, every interaction that we have is a faith situation because we're either trusting what God has said about this and what we've learned about Him or we're not trusting Him and we're believing in something else. Sometimes big situations of faith require a cattle prod. You need a boost. Hooking a battery up to a metal chair and turning the power on. But really what this memorial does is when people would pass by it later, they would stop and they would say, here's how God worked before. And we marked it because He did it. And if He did it then, guess what? He can do that and so much more now. Because He's God. It would always point back to God. It provided opportunities to teach future generations about what took place and why. Now the fourth one gets me. And here's the reason why. Raise your hand if your husband is forgetful. (laughs) That hand back there went up so quick, I almost felt the wind off of it. Wow. You know why I bring that up, right? (laughs) Jay says no. Jay, I miss your wife. All right. We have a tendency to forget. For what? Yeah, we, we forget very basic things that we know about God. It just somehow went in one ear and out the other, and we didn't catch it on the way. 
Or you find yourself in a sudden situation with news that you can't believe and you react in such a way that is godless. Not that you meant to, but you weren't able in that split-second reaction to call a spiritual timeout and grab a hold of the truth of God's Word in order to utilize it to move forward obediently. Instead, we just freaked out. And we forgot who God was. Or we've gone on about life. Or for some reason, the Bible that we're holding has been sitting in the back of our car since last Sunday. We're too easy to forget God. And that's why memorials are important to have. Now, a lot of you don't know this. Some of you do. Some of you know that I did this, but you don't know why. I actually erected a memorial today to remind me of where I'm supposed to stand both before and after I'm done preaching. Everybody see it hanging there from the wall or from the ceiling? Everybody see that little blue ball? I thought this is a good object lesson. And it's stuck. Guess what? I'm not going to forget where I'm supposed to stand. I'm going to think back to the time that I did that. I have faith that that ceiling's going to hold it, but if it doesn't, praise the Lord. But regardless, I have erected a reminder of something that needs to happen. Now that's silly, but hopefully you get the point. Is there anything special about the ball? The longevity of its stickiness, maybe. But no, there's nothing special about the ball. Is there anything special about the rock? that Jacob uses. No. It's just a rock. The question is the meaning behind it. What does it stand for? That's what it has to do with. It's really not about that. It's really not about this rock. It's about what does it stand for. Let me give you another interesting thing here. Look over at chapter 35. 35 is getting in the DeLorean and going forward 30 years. 30 years has passed since this time in Bethel. And what's interesting is that because of some bad situations that go on in a region where they're settled, Jacob takes his family and begins to head back. And of all the places that he stops, he stops in Bethel. Look at chapter 35, verse 9. Then Elohim appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram. That's where Haran is up in that northern part. And he blessed him. Elohim said to him, Your name is Jacob. Does anybody know what Jacob means? Trickster! If you're here and your name is Jacob, I love you. But biblically, sorry Jacob, thank you for running our sound. He's going to shut me off here in just a minute. It means trickster. It means supplanter is what it means. Jacob's not that person anymore. Jacob has grown. Jacob has developed. Jacob is now walking hand in hand with the Lord. He pulled one over? Yes. Well, not Jacob. Laban. Laban. Yeah, Laban. Sorry, Laban. It's okay. It's okay. You're taking away from where I'm going. So, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. 
thus he called him Israel. Now this is a name that he was given back in chapter 32, verse 28. Everybody remember when Jacob fought with the angel? And it means struggles with God. It's the idea of striving with God over a situation. If you remember, Jacob's hip was knocked out of whack. He never walked the same again from this situation. But he refused to let go of that angel until he was blessed. You bless me, I'll let you go. And what you find out is, is that angel that he fought with was actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And so Jesus knocked his hip out of joint. Jacob still desired a blessing. He still desired to strive with God. Jacob had grown a lot. He now wanted God's blessing. He didn't just want his father's blessing anymore and to take that for what he could get. He now wanted Almighty God's blessing. Everything's coming into perspective for him. It says here, thus he called him Israel. Verse 11, God also said to him, I am El Shaddai. Thank you, Amy Grant, right? The God who fulfills the almighty, the powerful God. He says here, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Notice that's again the seed blessing. And kings shall come forth from you. Verse 12, the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac. There's the land again. I will give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then Elohim went up from him in the place where he had spoken to him. And what does Jacob do? Look at this. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, the house of God. Jacob establishes a geographical memorial marking God's promises to him. In this time and in this place, God not only revealed Himself, but He spoke great and wonderful promises to me. And I want forever for people to be understanding this, and I want to commemorate this moment in this pillar. How about the life of Moses? Turn over to Exodus 3. Exodus 3, we're going to look at verse 13. Now this is still where Moses is kind of squirrely. By the way, how'd the hunt go? Did it go well? I'm not asking if you caught anything. Did you kill anything? Okay. 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 Real quick. I'm going to set up a tent in my backyard. Because they are all over the place. And you're more welcome to come. Please. Take them out. I'm serious. I'm so tired of what they do to my mulch. Good grief. If you could catch two of them and tie their tails together, I would love that. That'd be great. Okay. Don't call PETA. We're fine. Okay. Good. Good. I love it. It was fellowship time yesterday. That's good. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. God appears to Moses. Everybody knows the burning bush situation, right? It's on fire, but it doesn't burn. Remove your sandals, you're on holy ground. He draws near. And then God starts letting Moses know what his life is going to result in. Here's what you're going to do. Here's where you're going to go. Here's what you're going to say. And I love it because Moses suddenly comes down with the case of the yabbats. Yabbat, 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 uh, yabbat. He can't do it. Look at verse 13. 
Then Moses said to Elohim, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, Now, you either think of Popeye when you read this, or at the end of it you think, What in the world is God talking about? Watch this. I am... Look what he says. I am who I am. The designation of I am is a derivative in the Hebrew from the verb to be. And it's the idea that God is expressing himself as the self-existent one. That he needs nothing to be who he is. That no one can add anything to his being. That of himself, the incarnate Jesus, we know that he evidenced these because he's 100% God and 100% man. But God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get hungry. He doesn't need to take a nap. He's not looking for vacation. That doesn't happen with God. He is. He is self-existent. And no one's going to come along and bring anything to him that makes him better or more God or adds to Thank you so much. I don't know how I would have got by without that. He's other worldly than we are this is the common this is a doctrine that doesn't get talked about enough it's called the aseity of god a-s-e-i-t-y the aseity of god that he needs nothing to exist but is self-sufficient in himself he is eternal absolutely but in being eternal he needs to be self-existent as well otherwise he at some point he would stop being eternal and become temporal That never happens with him at all. And so he expresses himself in this I am who I am or that I am. And the reason for the repetition of bringing that up is because God wants there to be a severe amount of intensity that covers that reply. He says here, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Or the word that we use for all caps, it's the same thing. L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, Yahweh. That's his name. He is the self-existent one. So when you see this I am pronunciation, he's using the word Yahweh is what he's using. Y-H-W-H, no vowels. So now look here at verse 15. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob, has sent me to you. Watch it. Don't miss it. This is my name. How long? Forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. In other words, when God does great acts amongst people and all that he decrees, it should always be connected to the self-existence-ness of who God is in his person. He alone gets the credit for all this. And so when we talk about a memorial name, we're talking about something that would identify him clearly of which something of remembrance should come to the surface. God describes himself up until the Exodus as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes? We see this over and over and over. Once the Exodus happens, God then begins describing himself as the one who freed you from Egypt. He's the one who came in and provided salvation and put your chains to the ground and let you go. That name, that memorial name is to be attached to those events. 
and to be accredited to His greatness in all of those things. It was to be, uh, Walter Kaiser says this, it was to be for the act of uttering the mighty deeds of God regardless of the generation. Call God Yahweh sometime in your prayers. It won't hurt you. Try reading the Old Testament that way. It'll change the way that you think about what you're doing. It'll create a greater reverence for how you approach the text. Because we actually have to slow down and think. A lot of us can read something and be thinking about something totally different when that happens. But if we have to slow down and take a moment to embrace God and to be desirous of His presence, it will absolutely change the way you read Scripture. Notice this very interesting thing. God's name is a memorial for all generations. God established it with Moses at this point in time for a reason. He's getting ready to do the unthinkable, the unbelievable. He's taking, pay attention, think about our current day, He's taking the greatest superpower of the world right now and He is going to flip it over like a pancake and destroy it. He's God. Their armies don't threaten Him. Their laws don't threaten Him. Their rituals don't bother Him. He's not put out because they were too busy doing something else. He establishes the fact that everything else is under Him. He alone is God. He is the one that we look to. Now fast forward to Exodus 24. Let's move forward there. This is after the Exodus. This is after they received the law. And God, Yahweh, is calling them into an obedience relationship. What we commonly understand is the law of Moses. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's so much more. And the reason is, is because they are a nation that is getting ready to go into the land that they have been promised in the Middle East. And in doing so, they're going to need rules in order to live their entire lives by. How do you conduct a society that exalts Yahweh, that is worthy of His name? And so He's bringing them into this agreement. Look starting in verse 3. It says, Then Moses came, and he recounted to the people all the words of Yahweh and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which Yahweh has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. Then he arose early in the morning, and look at this, he built an altar at the foot of the mountain where God appeared, where Yahweh appeared, with twelve pillars, four to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. Why? Because the altar was for worship and sacrifice, and all twelve tribes were agreeing to be involved in God's program for their lives. All of them came to that agreement. Notice verse 5, He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood, and he put it in the basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, the book of the covenant, everything that he had just written down, going on in verse 4, and he read it in the hearing of the people. Why? Because if you're getting ready to come into an agreement, you want to make sure that you're very clear on the terms. Anybody ever sign a mortgage and be like, yeah, whatever. I don't care what the interest rate is. Just go for it. Here, where can I sign? Nobody does that, especially now. No one does that. So Moses is going back. Pay attention. He's reiterating to them. Guys, listen. Here is what God is saying. It's all good stuff. 
Are you willing to commit your heart in this direction? So, he reads it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Moses marked this moment of agreement for Israel. He establishes an altar, sacrifice, 12 pillars, everybody's involved, as a memorial of Israel's declaration of obedience to God. Fast forward to Samuel. 1 Samuel. Again, there's so many more of these instances that are in here. I'm just giving you a few. Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. He says, Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. Bad situation. Philistines are coming. Israel is going to be attacked, torn down, destroyed. What do they do? They turn to God. Whatever God says, we'll do it. So he offers up an offering before the Lord. Philistines are coming. But Yahweh thundered with a great thunder on the day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. If you have your New American Standard 95 version, you look in the margin, you see it says the word routed means what? Who's with me in the Bible today? What's the word? Smitten. They were smitten. In other words, this vicious army was coming. They got one thing on their mind. Death to Israel. That's it. Israel, instead of taking up arms, decides to put their face on the floor. And they call upon the prophet that they have at that time, who is the mediator between them and God. It said, Samuel, seek the Lord's face for us. We'll do whatever He asks. We need to be rescued from the situation because our lives are in the balance. So Samuel goes and he petitions the Lord for this and actually creates a burnt offering sacrifice. If you guys don't remember that, it's a 24-hour rotisserie chicken type sacrifice, okay? Going on for a long time in order to bring that before the Lord. And when the Philistines are rushing upon, God uses one thing, thunder. Is it thunder? Did say lightning? A great thunder, not just thunder, a great thunder. And when that happens, that so freaks the Philistines out where they become easy prey. No longer a threat, they're now dead. That's what God is able to do. That's what God is able to do. Now, here's a part that we become familiar with. Verse 11, The men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as beth Then Samuel took a stone. For some reason, it's always got to do with stone, yes? It's always got to do with stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin, and named it who? Scrooge, right? No. Ebenezer saying, thus far, Yahweh has helped us. The word Ebenezer. A stone of help. I am marking, I am planting the time when God showed up when we needed Him most. Why? Because sometimes I forget that God will provide. And sometimes I forget who God is in the midst of my hard situation. And my kids need to know who God is and what He's able to do in all facets of their life. It's not that the stone is special. It's what it represents that is special. So they named it Ebenezer, saying thus far, Yahweh has helped us. Sorry, I haven't been following along here. 
Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. And the hand of Yahweh was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Samuel sets up a stone of help as a memorial of God's divine rescue of Israelite or of Israel from the Philistines. Here's one that we're more familiar with. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And that being said, if I could have seven men come up front, please. 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, and this is recounting from Luke's Gospel, which would make total sense if you know anything about Acts, how close Paul and Luke were. This is My body which is for you. Think about it real quick. This is Jesus' body, a representation, which is for who? Us. It's for us. Do this in... What do you think He means by that? It's a memorial. It's a memorial. Every time we celebrate the Lord's table, it's because God is saying to us, remember. Now we don't fall into the tradition where we believe the bread and the cup become anything. We don't subscribe to that. But what we do understand is what it symbolizes. The bread is not special. It's probably Walmart. I don't know. It's just like the apple on the tree in Eden. It wasn't the sin apple. As if we would have grabbed an orange, it would have been different for us. It's a fact of what it represents. And just as taking of that and eating of it, and it represented an independence of God where I don't need you to tell me anything about my life, I'll do what I want. So Christ says, remember my death because it's given you everything that you never had. It is the actual commemoration of salvation given to you and to me. Sometimes we bypass the significance of the cross too easily. Isn't it interesting that He uses the word remembrance? It's what Jesus used. Think about what He says here. As often as you drink it, or sorry, forgive me, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Look at verse 25. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do you think that Jesus believes that we will forget? Why did He just say, this is my body given for you? Period. Pass it out. Everybody will know what this means. Parents, what an incredible teaching opportunity for your kids right now. How important it is we do this because there was a day in time where Jesus, who never did anything wrong, was nailed to a cross and He died a death that I deserve to die a million times over. But instead, He stood in our place. He died for us. We drink this cup because we're remembering the fact that His blood was poured out which was what was necessary in order to wipe every sin 
off the slate. We need to remember this. We need to remember this. Now, the most important thing for us right now is to take a moment of prayer because we are not to take of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And so we may have 1 John 1 9 it at the beginning, and that's good, and maybe you took advantage of that, and maybe you didn't. But if you've sinned in between then and now, and it's possible, as soon as you said, the pastor's so stupid for throwing something up on the ceiling, repent, people, right? Might need to take a moment and confess that. And observe this memorial. Remember. Remember it. Why? Because the Lord's table is a memorial regarding Christ's death. It's a reminder of Christ's presence. Recognize that. He is omnipresent, yes. So He is here. In fact, He is indwelling every one of us. We're told that. But also, it's an awareness of Christ's coming. Why? For as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Jesus wants us to look back to the cross. He wants us to see it. He wants us to stop for a minute. Take a time out of busyness and grab a hold of the reality of the death of the Son of God for you and for me. He wants us to recognize that if you're a believer in Christ, Christ dwells in you right now. That's what those little red flags are when you're thinking about grabbing that extra slice of pizza and it says no! It's that conviction of the Holy Spirit leading us in holier directions. You know that's silly, but you get what I mean. But it's also the anticipation of what is to come. I don't need to be freaked out right now. I don't need to be scared about what's happening in this world. Why? Because my King is going to come. And every time I take the time to observe what He's done, what He is doing, and what He will do, it sets me at rest. Why? Because I'm able to remember more clearly His love for me. Past, present, future, it doesn't matter. It's a remembrance. One author called Communion the memorial of God's dying love. And what's amazing about that is that His love for us didn't die with Christ. It just became more clearly seen. You could actually put a picture on it. You could actually measure it. When I was a little boy, it's probably more than you guys need to know. And I'd go potty. See? When you're sitting there as a little kid, you don't have anything to do. So I'm looking around, and my mom used to have something up on the wall. It's a little bitty old 70s looking brown plaque with a little gold stretch over the top of it. And it had words etched in it. And it said, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And he said, this much. He stretched out his arms, and he died. How simple and how amazing. So this is a representation of His body given for us willingly. We are to eat. So let's do this as an act of remembrance of the giving of Himself for us. See, So this cup symbolizes the love of God. And when we talk about payment for sin, we're talking about washing it completely away gone, drowned in a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. That is the grace 
and the love of our Father. He wants us to remember that always. Strength. Thank you so much, gentlemen. So that was the intro to my sermon. Let's wrap up with this. Memorials are important. We're not worshiping them. There's nothing sacred about them. If you accidentally trip and bump into one, you're okay. But the fact is, is that they recognize God's involvement. This is how I view our pledge campaign. If I'm looking for anything as your pastor, I'm looking for God's involvement. I don't have to worry about your involvement. I just look for God's involvement. God's involved, you'll be involved. Number two, they generate thankfulness in the believer. We're an incredibly blessed church. We haven't even done anything about pledging yet, and we already have $323,000 that's been given to this. In our silence, there's already been a response because people see it, people get it. Either that or you've served in children's church or Sunday school long enough. You understand it. You feel the heat in there, the pressure, but God's doing good things. God's moving in our church. I talk to some people and I find out God is not in their church. God does not want to go to their church. God actually wants to be here. And that's not a slam against them. I don't know what's caused that. But for a people who just drank commemorating the blood that gives us life, some of our brothers and sisters are in a situation where there is no life in that body anymore. It's tragic. I rejoice. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm getting stories from you guys about, here's how the Word of God has changed my life. Here's what God has me doing. I never thought I'd be doing this mystery and now I am here in the thick of it and I love it. You can't pry me away from it. Thank you, God, for moving on the hearts of your people to do your work. So I'm thankful for that. They are a representation of an event, truth, or revealing to be upheld. Back in 1995 and 96, this building was being built. I wasn't here then but I certainly appreciate and thankful for the fruits of that opportunity and how wonderful that is. And I've seen the pictures and I've seen the tents out here on the property. Looked like some kind of weird picnic thing going on. Kenny had a glorious mullet. It was amazing. In fact, we went and saw Pastor Steve the other day. As soon as Kenny looked, or as soon as Pastor Steve saw him, he said, Curly! Because Kenny's hair used to be all curly and permed in the back. Love you, Kenny. I got pictures. See me after service. It's great. But October 22nd, 2023, here's my question. What will this day mark for Grace Bible Church? How will we remember this? It's not really about the building. The building's just a tool. It's a tool to have greater opportunities of evangelism and discipleship happen here a place that's already called by God's name we're just looking for more place to be called by God's name to do God's work that's what it all boils down to so for me 
I'm excited about today. Regardless of what we hear. Regardless of what the total is. God's moving in a good direction, a healthy direction. A direction where we have the opportunity to serve Him like no one else in this town. And if you haven't recognized, Portage needs to be served. Portage needs to be ministered to. Portage needs to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And our job, our calling by God is to love people to life in Christ. It's very simple. It's very simple. It's all we have to do. is love people to life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, what will today signify for Grace Bible Church? Only You know. Only You understand. All of it is in Your hands already. But Father, it's clear that You've been leading us, moving us, many discussions, lots of information. It's not that the building is holy. It's not that it's ornate. It's not that it needs to be treated like a priceless work of art behind a bulletproof glass. But it stands for a belief in this church that we need to be reaching the lost and ministering to the saved. That every single person needs to hear about the dying love of Jesus Christ for them. That we need to know You more and grow in You. Successfully bearing fruit for Your glory. That's what it's about. So God, I just thank You for this day. Thank You for being God. Thank You for being wonderful. Always. Even when I disagree with You. Thank You for always having our best intentions in mind because the type of love that we experience is Your love, not human love. Thank You that You love to the uttermost. Thank You that You are a great and wonderful God. It is in Jesus' name. Amen.